Welcome to another NCAA tournament edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. I am Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, uh, traversing the globe right now, covering the Boilermakers in their NCAA tournament endeavors. He is Mike Carmen from also the Journal and Courier. And uh, this past weekend, he actually got in some March Madness as well and can give us a scattering report on Purdue's next opponent, Tennessee. Uh, how are you doing, Mike? Great. How are you? How are the, the travels? How's the the late night writing and all the things that that come with this time of the year. It's uh yeah, it's uh, I was pretty dead by the time I got back from uh Hartford last night and I will say so the last time we recorded a podcast, we we're, we're doing this by phone again. I'm at the uh the South Broad Ripple office here in Indianapolis and he's back in Tippecanoe County and we were recording a podcast as I drove to the airport for the last one. And I always when I get out at the airport and I park, I always put a thing in my notes in my phone what shelter I'm at and what my parking thing is. So I got dropped off. I'm I'm watching the Duke UCF final seconds on my phone yesterday as I'm on the shuttle and they dropped me off at what I thought was where my car was. And it was not there. It was not (laughs) even close to being there. And so then I just said already being pretty exhausted. I just, I just forgot to put it in. So like 20 minutes later, I finally found my car on like the opposite side of the parking lot. So, um, a great end to uh, the weekend for me, um, not really, but a good a good weekend for Purdue, obviously. Um, and really, in my six years of covering this team, I don't think I've ever seen them come out and play a game like what they did Saturday night against Villanova. And I know you were watching, and I've already said some things about this. I'm just curious, as 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 an observer, what you saw from Purdue that night, and just how stunning that was to kind of watch it unfold. Well, it was it was uh, you know I have to admit it was it was jaw dropping to to see them play a complete kind of game and and you know one thing I think people have to to understand when shots go in you look a hundred times better than what you do when shots don't go in because that is the name of the game is shooting shooting the ball and putting it in the basket so when you have the number of three pointers that went in and Carson Edwards hitting a number of shots that he's he's missed over the weeks. And then you combine that with what they did on the defensive end, not only Saturday but in the in the game against uh, old Dominion. Yeah, it was it was it was quite quite impressive impressive to do it against that kind of opponent. You know, you you, you kinda keep some of these things in perspective, although Villanova's the defending national champs, it's not the same team type of thing, but a lot of those players are still back. But for Purdue to come out and just build and build and build on what they what they started well into the second half was you know you can use all the words of statement game for a program it definitely a you know I, I would consider it a um, you know a statement game in the Matt Pair Matt, Matt Painter era um, from from that standpoint because uh, Villanova a team that has given you some problems when you played them. Uh, you know, I was at the game when uh, Villanova and Purdue opened up the season uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And, you know, at that point, Purdue, even though it's November, you could sense Purdue really wanted that game to kind of get their season off to a good start, beat a blue blood program at, at, in this era of college basketball. Uh, but, it, you know, they they fell short. So you just kept waiting for them to get back to that to that situation and get get in that position again. But to do it on the national stage and the NCAA tournament was a chance to go to 316. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was impressive. 
And, you know, they, although Carson obviously was the story of that game, you know, they got, they got enough contributions from everybody, and that's how this team has, has won this year. It's like when Carson's on his game, everybody else just kind of fills in their role, and they, they become virtually unstoppable. Yeah, we're going to talk about the defense again here in a second. We're going to talk about um, Carson Edwards in a second. But I was trying to think, and I was sitting there on press row with some other guys, it's like, when was the last time you saw a Purdue team do this? And probably when you consider in the stakes and the level of opponent, probably the only thing that matches it for me was last year in the Bahamas against Arizona. And the stakes weren't as high, although for them to have gone 0-3 there would have been uh, a really tough run, which is what happened to Arizona. So uh, I guess they can sympathize. But to, to come out and just and just crush a team like that, not on your home court, not a compromised team like what Ohio State was without Caleb Wesson, not even like last year when they were going into Big Ten arenas and beating up on you know Minnesota and and Iowa and just really thrashing teams. Those were teams that just weren't at this caliber. And and I thought it was. Statement, statement is probably the right way to put it, and I thought it was an important progression for this program. And it's hard, you know, it, it, it's a perfect storm that may be impossible to replicate. But I thought it was an important step forward for this program to be on the same floor as a team like Villanova, with your season on the line, um, a program like Villanova, a coach like Jay Wright, and to come out and not just win, but just emphatically win like that. I think it. Um, this is a program that always kind of has a chip on its shoulder a little bit, and a little bit of that. Um, no one gives us our due kind of vibe going on. And that went a long way towards sort of eradicating that. Even if they can't win this next game, I think it's going to be a really tough game. Even if they can't win that, a, a statement has kind of been made as far as where Purdue is relative to the rest of college basketball. Yeah, I think there's a lot of truth in what, what you say there. And it just it kind of emphasizes what Matt Painter has done here during his tenure, and when you look at, you know, what is this, the third straight Sweet 16 yeah. that they've been to, um, it, it just kind of, kind of, you know, it, it does, it, it should push Purdue up a notch or two in just the view of the college basketball world, the view of fans, uh, just the way they, 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 they treated Villanova. They didn't treat them very well. Right. <laughs> they, they really just beat them to a pulp to where, they just didn't have anything left to give. You know, I know they, they outscored them, whatever, 18-5 to five in the last few minutes of the game, but that that just doesn't matter. I mean, when, when you're sitting there and you're looking at the score and Purdue has 61 points, 62 points, and Villanova has 29, you're just you're, – you're kind of awestruck in what, what this Purdue team did. Um, and, they, you know, they did a whole lot on the, on the offensive end, but – um, you know, I don't know if you want to get into it now, but just what they did defensively in those two games, especially um, you know Saturday, is that they they made Villanova extremely uncomfortable, and it, it was probably more visible in person than mm-hmm. it was on TV. But Villanova just looked completely uncomfortable trying to run anything offensively, and it just it just kind of showed up as the game went on, and it continued to to show up that these. That these this team didn't know how to to deal with what Purdue was doing defensively, and that you know as as everyone knows, you know it's great to hit 16 threes, but Purdue's program is is based and centered around what happens on the defensive end, and I really thought what they did on the defensive end just led to the onslaught uh, offensively. 
No, I, I couldn't agree more. And you think back to the worst examples of Purdue offense that you've seen this year. It's guys coming down, little to no passing, early jump shots in the shot clock, contested jump shots rather than working for something that was open. That's exactly what they did to Villanova. I mean, I thought they turned Villanova into what the, the version that has been a problem for them at times this year. When they've when they've struggled the most on offense, that's what they've looked like. You know, the the, the game against Old Dominion on Thursday they held them to 19 points in the first half. Old Dominion's a bad offensive basketball team. Oh God! By just were. like by, by just like any standards, and I think I think uh, Jeff Jones, their coach, would be one of the first people to admit that. Relative to the rest of the NCAA tournament field, that's not a good offensive basketball team. And Purdue did what it should have done against a team like that. Yeah, no what, it did to, what it did to Villanova on Saturday, though, was a, a completely other level. When you consider that Nojel Eastern is coming off of the turned ankle um, and you didn't know exactly how close to full strength he was going to be to go up against Phil Booth, who was you know, their leading scorer, one of the best guards in the Big East and a, a really good college basketball player. And then Eric Paschal had really, uh, really flummoxed St. Mary's on Thursday night. He's, he's just a really tough matchup. With his inside-outside game, he's a really big guard, but also can slide out there and hit threes. And, uh, you know, the combination of Grady Eifert and, and everybody else for Purdue stepping up and defending him, once they had kind of neutralized those two guys, then the thing that kind of surprised me was I thought there would be someone else for Villanova who could do something, and it just wasn't there. And, and, and bothered, and it was the, the best example. It was the best word maybe to describe this, I thought. And that's the word that kept coming to my mind as I was watching it was like, Villanova just looks so uncomfortable out there trying to run offense. They look like they, it looks like there's more Purdue guys on the floor. And it's something that you would have maybe said about them in previous years. I don't know how much you would have said that this year. There haven't been a lot of examples of that. But the, the past five or six weeks, it's been sort of a slow trend towards really figuring some things out defensively. And I thought this past weekend, a lot of it finally broke through and kind of came to the forefront. It did. And, you know, it came at the right time, obviously. But yeah, you, you, you know better than probably anybody just how you've kind of seen it build and build and build. And, you know, maybe um, maybe it wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't there in the Minnesota game in the Big Ten tournament where, you know, uh, Minnesota kind of had, a, had its way offensively. But, you know, you look, you know, I, I, you know, you go back to the Northwestern game when they when they want to share the, the Big Ten title. I thought they were pretty good defensively mm-hmm. that day, at least in the in the parts of the game that I, that I watched. Um, and then there were probably some other moments throughout the year where, you know, you, you go to the Indiana game where their offense wasn't really doing anything, but they stayed in that game because of what they did defensively and, you know, harms plugging up the middle the, the way he did. So there's been moments probably in this last month where you've seen bits and pieces of this, piece, pieces of this building up to what came Saturday. Um, and it's, it is hard to duplicate every 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 game because the challenges you face are different. Yes. I mean, just think of No Joe Eastern plays Thursday against Old Dominion. They may not break 40. Oh, I mean, that's – No, good point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he's not even on the floor except to get his ankle loosened up on uh, <laughs> on, on Thursday. Right. Uh, but if he's at full strength, then, you know, that, that, that was just – that was really uh, – that was a really good defensive team – taking a below-average offensive team and making them worse than below-average. 
And, you know, I think they had some foul trouble early and one of their best, I think Green got in foul trouble and he wasn't on the floor yeah. a lot in the first half. But that was that, that was not a, 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 a strong offensive team. And Purdue just kind of got his claws into him and wouldn't let go. And it just, you know, this, you know, it, it was like the bleeding animal laying out in the field and they just kind of, they just kind of feasted on them. And, and they did a lot of the same thing Saturday. And just, it's just when, when Purdue's teams play well defensively, you can see the the you can see the harmony in it in a way that mm-hmm. you don't that you don't see with some other teams. There's a there's a togetherness there that they play with defensively that they need to play with defensively, and you know that that came out uh, definitely on on Saturday. We have to talk about Carson Edwards and the way he broke through with just one of the all time great performances in Purdue postseason history, really. Um, you know, uh, 42 points, that's his career high. He'd reached 40 a couple of other times, you know, last year at Illinois, earlier this year at Texas. And in in a way, I, I had, it, it kind of caught snuck up on me because once it's a 35-point lead early in the second half, people in our job kind of start writing and start looking at their deadline situations. They're not really paying attention to just – counting points anymore but fortunately people there are and all of a sudden you're like oh wait he's he's past 30 he's past uh he's closing in on 40 and then he's at the line getting 42 and it's funny because i had said to someone earlier now obviously we've, we've talked before about the trajectory of his season and the way leading in he doesn't like to call it a slump and i don't know if there is such a thing as a shooting slump in some ways i don't know but he clearly was not efficiently hitting shots for a pretty significant period coming into the NCAA tournament. And I, I said to someone, though, it, all of this, and especially once all this, start, this stuff starts coming out about his supposed um, his back hurting and all that stuff, uh, stiffening up, whatever it was, once that started happening, I, I just had this feeling that, like, yeah, this is all trending towards him having some kind of a crazy weekend. And yeah. he was okay against – uh, Old Dominion. I mean, I thought he played well, actually, against Old Dominion. I thought that really was a night where maybe just some shots didn't fall. I didn't really see a huge problem in his approach for much of that game. And then the kind of the game that Purdue and Painter have been waiting for, just one of these nights where it all locks in for him. It, it started early on Saturday against Villanova. I don't know if, if he was maybe especially motivated, knowing the stakes, knowing how much how much eyes, how many eyes are on him in that moment, but he Rose the occasion like like few players ever have for Purdue. Yeah, I mean you have to go back to Glenn Robinson's forty four point performance against Kansas in the in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the Sweet Sixteen mm-hmm. to, to to have that kind of performance. And that's as the points were piling up, that's kind of what came to my mind. And you know, also fresh off the story that you'd written about the ninety four team, uh, kind of tied it all together a little bit. But that's um, that, that that's that ranks right there with uh, um, with what Big Dog did, and uh, I don't know if you call Carson now the small dog. I, I don't. I don't know if you want to. <laughs> I don't know if you'd agree with that. Probably not. Carson Edwards will not be calling himself the small dog. I can no, he won't. That. He's he's a, he's the big dog in his own way. Uh, but yeah, but you know, at some you know, not that they the way the game played out, they didn't need 42 from him, but. I, in a way, I was, I was, you know, even though the game was decided, Painter kept him in the game for until what a minute and a half to go, a minute to go, something like that. 
Yeah. And uh, when he summoned Tommy Luce from the bench uh, to to say, okay, this game's over now. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I was kind of glad that he did to kind of let that game play out for Carson. And even uh, Debbie Antonelli, who was on the TV broadcast, she kept saying, well, he's got – He's got another bucket or two left in him. He's got another one, and they were kind of they were debating whether he, he should be taken out or not. Mm-hmm. And she's like, "No, he's got another bucket or two. She's like, "I can tell. He's got he's got some more in, in him." And I was kind of glad Panter just kind of let that whole thing play out to to probably the to the fullest it was. Now, if he if he knew had Carson had forty two and 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 Glenn Robinson you know had forty four back in the day, would he kept him in longer? I, I don't know if Matt's that kind of coach. Uh, I, I don't think so, but I think what you saw was the maximum that, that Carson gave you on on uh, on Saturday. And, you know, unfortunately, he's going to have to try to do something similar again on on, uh, on Thursday against Tennessee. He's going to have a different kind of athlete guarding him. But, you know, now the question is, how does he back that up? How does he how does he duplicate that or can he duplicate that coming up in the in the Sweet 16? Yeah, you know, I was getting some questions on Twitter from people like, what's the deal? Why is Painter leaving his starters in for so long? And anybody who was in Denver three years ago knows why <laughs> Matt Painter started in that long. Like, this was – you. there was no – this is just a time of the year where it's not your it, – you're playing Robert Morris at home. Okay, Tommy Luce plays the last five minutes. But in the NCAA tournament, and I don't care how much respect you have for Villanova, it's not about saving face at that point. There's at some point sportsmanship comes into it, but it's it's about making sure you secure the win in every way possible. And then on top of that, what you had going on with Edwards, we had a chance to get a career high. But I think it was an important game. You know, Matt, Matt Painter has talked before about how, and I don't think this is something that's only true of Edwards. I think it's true of a lot of players. I think it's true of probably a lot of us in just our day-to-day lives and the jobs that we do. You need to sometimes have a good result in order to have the next good result. He needed something to go his way. And it went his way in a huge way on Saturday. And now there's a layoff, but you wonder what, you know, just from a, from a psyche standpoint, from a mental standpoint, if that's something that pushes him back up to just another higher level or, or, or at least just something with a little bit more consistency to it. I don't expect him to come out and score 42 points against Tennessee. Um, but I also thought even I, – I also thought the way he played Thursday, I thought if he had played that – that same way on Saturday against Villanova, I thought Purdue had a chance to win that game. I, did, I didn't think it was something where he was going to necessarily have to come out and carry them. But I think he is going to have to be it's, – it's, again, it's all about the decisions. I don't think it matters whether the shots fall. I think it actually has more to do with what decisions is he making. Is, how many, which times is he you know, finding the right angle to the basket and which times is he kind of trying to force it through traffic and those sorts of things. I thought you started to see the, the right decisions multiply upon themselves a little bit in that game on Saturday. Yeah, if you get the same decision making on Thursday, you're going to be you're going to be in that game, and you're probably going to be ahead heading into the last ten minutes. Uh, and that and that's the key. You're right. I mean, he has to he has to continue to make the right decisions. And whatever light bulb went off with him uh, going into the tournament, maybe it was just the fact that it is the tournament, uh, and this might be his last NCAA tournament. That you know he's going to you know he's finally realize what he has to do to help this team win. If he's truly about helping this team win, that he continues to make the decisions that he made. Is he going to have moments where he, he thinks he has to put the team on his back and carry them? Yes. But the better decisions need to outweigh those moments uh, if, if this team's going to advance. 
we uh, we're going to be joined by um, Mike Wilson from the Tennessee, uh, sorry, Knoxville News Sentinel in a moment. He's going to give us some some in-depth scouting report on Tennessee, and I want to get your ver- your views on Tennessee in a moment because you obviously you got to see them this past weekend over in Columbus. Just in general for Purdue, this is five Sweet 16 trips now under Painter, three in a row. Still looking for their first win there, and looking back over their history. You, you, you know, they've played a one seed in Duke, or I'm sorry, one seed in UConn that went to the Final Four, a one seed in Duke that won the national championship, a one seed in Kansas that was playing on its home court, and then a three seed last year in Texas Tech, in a game where I think Purdue was a joint favorite going into that game, and then Texas Tech just took it over at the end. And we've seen now that w- what exactly Texas Tech is as a basketball program and the way that they've been able to replicate it. And I think Michigan has a really tough game on its hands Thursday night against this team. And I, I'm, 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 I feel like there's an interesting sort of dichotomy here with Purdue because they've never – once in a while you would expect after you get to the Sweet 16 enough times, somebody upsets somebody. You get, you're, the, you're the four seed that gets to play the eight or the nine that just upset the one, something like that. Something, something goes in your favor. And for Purdue, not only has that not gone in its favor, but then the injury thing has obviously gone completely against it, um, whether that was Robbie Hummel, whether that was Isaac Haas. At the same time, I feel like to, pers- to push deep in an NCAA tournament, you have to beat the best teams in the country. And that's really still the task that's ahead of, of uh, Purdue. They didn't get any kind of break this year. Tennessee is a, a team that was in the number one seed conversation for a, lot, a long part of the season. They were ranked number one at one point. This is, period, one of the best teams in the country. And the, the task is very similar. I think it's just the, the stage and the stakes and everything, it, it's – they should be used to this now because they're just going up against a tough, physical, talented team, and um, they have to just kind of man up and beat them in a way that they haven't been able to do yet. Well, and they, they do have a taste of what, what they're going to see on Thursday because they played yep. each other last year in the Bahamas. Um, I mean, you know better than I as far as what personnel are back. I mean, but Purdue had a pretty experienced team when mm-hmm. they played them last year with with the group that, that, that was around. Uh, and that – I think I remember just at the time that that seemed like a, a stunning loss for Purdue to go down there and get beat the way that it did um, against, you know, I'm not sure at that point Tennessee was the version that it became later on in the year and what it's become this year. So I just remember that kind of being a stunning loss uh, for Purdue at that time. But now when you flip the script, you know, more than a year later, uh, probably a year and a half later, um, you know, you have at least in Purdue's mind, you have a you know somewhat different team. Uh, mm-hmm. Although some of the you know a lot of the same players are the same, but you you know you don't have that that four senior lineup along with Carson Edwards. You've got Carson Edwards, you've got Matt Harms playing extended minutes, but um, it, it's it's kind of a different team. And I'm curious how that now what they remember about that game, you know, how they go about making sure they don't get beat up like they did last year. And do they have, you know, the, 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 the enough there to withstand that? Because, you know, Tennessee is an extremely athletic team. Uh, they have some size. Um, they, um, they, they're, they're definitely athletic in a lot of spots, um, which could cause Purdue some matchup problems coming up on, on Thursday down in, in, in Louisville. But um, it's – you're right. Purdue hasn't really caught that break, but this is a year where you're not going to catch a break because I think the the NCAA tournament field is pretty top heavy. 
this year, and that's not a yeah. surprise to anybody that no. you've only got two two teams out of the the you know the teams that were seated in the top sixteen uh, in the in the in the Sweet Sixteen field. Uh, so you, you're going to have to go through somebody, but you're right. You know, you would think at some point along this run that they would have run into a, an eight seed or a, a twelve seed or you know whatever to to kind of you know soften their path a little bit. And sometimes a program like Purdue needs a little break here and there to, to get, to get past the point. But the other part of it is too, if you, if you win Thursday, you would, you would have earned it. I mean, there's just no way around it because you're facing a team that was ranked number one for several weeks uh, this year. And as you said, in the conversation for a number one seed uh, and a really, a really good team. So whatever happens on Thursday, I mean, you're, you're going to have to earn your way to the elite eight. And I don't think players really want it any other way. Purdue has one returning starter from that game in the Bahamas against Tennessee, and that's Carson Edwards. And I believe Tennessee started the same five guys that night to that day that they're going to be starting on Thursday night. Um, so that tells you a little bit about it, it was it was it was a it was a big game I think for both of those teams because for Purdue it was this really this smack in the face. Like yeah. and they and, and the players reacted to it as such, and they lost again the next day. Obviously, having not learned their lesson a little bit against a, a fairly good Western Kentucky team, but that was those two days were a real eye opener, I think, for Purdue as far as who they were and how they needed. You know, all the skill they had, all this experience they had, was fine, but they needed another level of toughness. They needed a level, another level of physical and mental toughness, and that's what they came out of the Bahamas with. You saw them kind of unleash it a little bit in, on Arizona in that third game. And then they win 19 games in a row and, and become the team that they were last year. And I think it was a big game for Tennessee, too, because – and I'm, I'm hopefully talk to them a little bit about it later this week when we get to Louisville. But, you know, there was a team that was kind of just, hey, these guys might be kind of talented. Hey, Rick Barnes is probably kind of a pretty good basketball coach, but you know, he, did, he had not necessarily worked out as he'd hoped at, at Texas and had come down to kind of try to get Tennessee to another level. And that night, that was kind of their statement game in some ways. I should I keep saying night, but I'm pretty sure it was the first day, the first game down there in the Bahamas. Um, that was kind of an eye-opener for people about Tennessee and, and showed them what they were. And I remember, I, I, I need to go back and, and, and see if I can find it, but I, I just recall the things that stood out to me being, you know, looking at that team and seeing um, Admiral Schofield and, and these other guys and thinking this is like a team of grown men. A little bit, like this, you know what I mean? Like that's no, in, in a in a way that I didn't necessarily look at Purdue and think that. Um, uh, I can tell you for a fact, Tennessee's still a group of grown men. Yeah, well, let's and, and let's go let's go into that. You went to Columbus over the weekend, right? To to check out the games, and you, you got to see Tennessee's. So when I get on a plane in Hartford, there's a guy in front of me is watching on his phone. And Tennessee's up by like twenty, going into half or getting close to it. Not even, not even at halftime yet. And they're kind of building on it. And the guy in front of him is like, "Oh, I've got Tennessee minus eight or whatever." I'm like, "Oh, you're fine." <laughs> <laughs> that guy, uh, I did not try to make eye contact with that guy when I got off the plane um, because uh, a twenty-five point lead evaporated. Iowa takes Tennessee to overtime, and Tennessee then pulls it out. Without Admiral Schofield, who had, it seems like there's conflicting reports whether he asked not to go back in, if it was just a coach's decision, I don't know. But he wasn't on the floor in overtime. They went with some of their other guys. But um, you were there. Kind of tell, tell us what you saw. And from having seen Purdue a little bit, kind of maybe analyze that matchup a little bit. 
Well, the, Tennessee still has. I mean, they are growing bad. My wife commented that the Admiral should be playing football. He's so yeah. big, and he's got such broad shoulders that uh, he should be on the football team. Uh, but, yeah, it was – they came out – I mean, I think they had 29 points with eight minutes gone in the game, and it just looked like a completely uh, blowout where we were discussing what concessions we were going to be eating uh, <laughs> in between games. That's how that's, that's how much that game kind of lost my attention. Uh, and then, you know, I got to halftime, and it's still kind of a blowout, and then – you kind of sense something in the, in the in the beginning of the second half. Iowa hit a couple shots. Tennessee didn't seem as um, in, in tune to what it was doing. And then, as you've seen, and as uh, you know, fans of the Big Ten know, you know, once Iowa gets some things going offensively, they they are a very dangerous team. But let me back up here a little a second. You've seen Iowa in person a couple times this year, mm-hmm. and you've seen them in person over the years. I think I've seen them once in person. But you don't really appreciate, and maybe that's not the right word, just how bad defensively they are until you watch them in person. I mean, they, in that first it's a half, thing to behold. It's, it's a thing that, to behold, and and how they've never ever solved it. But no. this isn't a this isn't a one year phenomenon. It's a thing that's keeping that program from bumping up into like where Purdue is right now. If they just played some defense, look at what they've got. But right. yeah, but they, I mean, in the first half, I mean, Tennessee just had wide open shot after wide open shot. And it wasn't until Iowa went to a zone that they, they actually looked like they were playing defense. And I was surprised they didn't start the second half in zone. I mean, they went to it a little bit later uh, when the game got tighter. Uh, but, you know, as you know, once they get things going offensively, once they, they hit a couple baskets and their guys get some confidence, uh, they, they, can be, they can be really dangerous, and that's what happened. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, it's, a, it's, an, under 10, it's an under 10 game, and the crowd's getting into it, then – Boom! You know, there's there's turnovers, and now it's a five point game, and then it's a one possession game, and then some guy jacks one from the corner, and it's a tie game. Uh, you know, and then they're then they're going back and forth, and then you know Tennessee kind of took over in overtime, and uh, you know got got the win. But um, you know, it, when you were talking about Purdue getting one of those breaks, when when the game got tied, I'm thinking I was going to win this game, and that's yeah. going to set up Purdue to get to the Elite Eight. Because there's no question in my mind, Purdue would take care of Iowa on a neutral court without much of an issue. I, I just I'm, I'm convinced I, of that. Absolutely, no, I, I agree. I, I think that's a matchup that heavily favors Purdue. Right. Although the first time they played this year, Iowa did not have Luka Garza. Actually, the only time they played this year, they only played once. It was at Mac Arena. Iowa didn't have Luka Garza, and that was at a point of the season where Purdue was just sort of transitioning into what they eventually became over the last half of the season, which was one of the best teams in the Big Ten. Right. But I would say with Thursday's matchup with Tennessee, I mean, Purdue, like Purdue had a year and a half ago, they they do have some matchup problems, you know, as Painter try, you know, is going to play man-to-man against this team. Um, they do have some matchup problems, as, you know, discussing there at the games, like, okay, who's Grady Eifert going to guard? Who's Ryan Klein going to guard? Who's, you know, how how are some of these matchups going to work out? And, to me, that's probably the most interesting thing coming up on on Thursday is can can Purdue duplicate what it did defensively in Hartford and take it to Louisville because it's going to need to. I, I don't. And while I think Purdue probably can score with this team, you know, I think Tennessee probably has a higher ceiling when it comes to offense from when you look at the five guys on the floor as opposed to the the five guys that Purdue puts out there. Now Carson Edwards can 
could score All right. to, can equate to, that quickly. Six to five guys by himself. But at some point, you're going to need some other guys to contribute. And, you know, and that's, that's kind of where, where Thursday's matchup is headed. Uh, but, you know, Purdue's going, you know, it's not the first time Purdue's going to have to deal with tall and athletic bodies and strong guys. You know, it's something that they do uh, every night in the Big Ten to some degree. But, you know, Tennessee, as you mentioned, this group has been together for a long time. So, you know, how does that, how does that play into, into Thursday's game when you've, when you've been through these battles for more than two years and you've, and you've grinded your way to now to a Sweet 16 spot where you you know you you, you survived, uh, but can Purdue? I mean, I, I'm convinced Tennessee's going to have one of those moments on Thursday where it's going to look lost. It's going to look like it doesn't know what it's doing, and can Purdue take advantage of that situation? And they're going to have other moments where they look really good, but I still see a little bit you know based on what I saw Sunday, there's still some inconsistencies there with, with Tennessee, and can Purdue pounce? Uh, when those inconsistencies pop up. You know, in both of their games, I believe Tennessee had decent leads, and then they kind of slowly slipped away or, or pretty rapidly slipped away their second half against Iowa at one point. Um, and I was talking to a, a, one of the, a local radio show from down there this morning, and those guys are pretty bearish right now on the volunteers. And after seeing what how they kind of scraped by in those first two games, uh, Colgate and then Iowa. Um, but at the same time, though, I look at what Tennessee has personnel-wise. I look at the results. I mean, you look at who t- Tennessee lost to this year, and it's only it's Kansas, it's Auburn, it's Kentucky. It's the very best teams in college basketball this year, or, or teams that either are still playing or lost to another really good team this past weekend. And, and they've beaten a lot of tremendous teams. Uh, I, just, I, I feel like if, if, if you're a Purdue fan, that's something to be wary of, that maybe this team – you know, got through what could have been its stumbling block last weekend. Now they get to kind of regroup and, and go into to Thursday, get a few days to prepare for that game. I will say, though, there are two things that Tennessee does not do well def- defensively. They are susceptible on the offensive boards, mm-hmm. and they are really susceptible to three-point shooting, as you saw to, to yeah. against Iowa. And what are the two things that Purdue does better than anything else on offense? It's scoring second-chance points and hit three-pointers. Like, that's really what their their offense thrives on that. So it, it sets up on paper, potentially, and just in terms of you see from stylistically and what these teams have actually done this season, that sets up well for Purdue. The other thing, though, that I, I just have in the back of my mind is when, it, when it's, when it's a, a team at that level, a high-level opponent on a neutral court with all of the electricity that's going to be in the air for a game like that, and it's going to be a pretty even crowd probably between Tennessee and, and Purdue at worst, um, you know, where does where's that mental toughness? Where's that physical toughness? Because I think that's something that's always kind of going to be there for Tennessee, whether the shots are falling and whether or not they're preventing threes or not. Yeah, and the other thing too, there's going to be a regression from Purdue. It just it certainly. Happens. I mean, you just, it, you, yeah. you, you just can't you don't you don't back up that game with another game, just like especially taking three or four days off. It just yeah, history will tell you that there's going to be a regression, but it's just a matter of how how far that regression is, and right. and where do you make up for that regression in other areas? And you know, painters teams are usually fundamentally sound, and they're they're drilled uh, they're drilled well in practice and stuff, where they know when shots aren't falling what they need to do in the other areas. And I think that's where some teams get lost when their shots don't fall; they slump their shoulders, and bad things happen on the other end. 
And I think for the most part, when shots don't fall for Purdue, they still maintain some sort of defensive intensity. And with this being the NCAA tournament and the Sweet 16, you would expect that to continue. This is not a regular season game in December where if your shots don't fall, well, you just get them, you get them the next time. No, there is no next time. And so, I mean, I, I expect Purdue to keep up the, the, the defensive intensity on that, on that, that end of the floor, regardless of what happens on the offensive end. Well, for more in-depth scouting report on the Volunteers, I'm going to talk to the guy who covered them all season. We're joined today on Boilers Extra by Mike Wilson. He covers Tennessee for the Knoxville News Sentinel. He's been there for a couple seasons, actually, covering the Volunteers. So he's been there for this whole resurgence the last couple of years, and he will be in Louisville covering the Volunteers this week uh, as they play Purdue Thursday night in the South Regional Semifinal. Mike, how are things in Knoxville these days? Not too bad. Haven't seen a lot of Knoxville lately, though, with all this uh, <laughs> yeah. March basketball nonsense. So, wondering what the city feels like these days. Yeah, well, you weren't in Hartford, so I think you were probably better off than <laughs> those of us who were this past week. Seen it, Columbus, Ohio, it was. <laughs> yeah, you got the assignment that I really wanted. I was hoping all year that Purdue would somehow get to Columbus since it was just a quick drive over, but I'll settle for that this week in the regional, I suppose. Not too bad, yeah. Not, Columbus to Louisville, for me, was a pretty friendly travel schedule, so I'm not complaining about that for certain. Yeah. Well, tell me, I guess just in general, how the weekend went for Tennessee from your perspective. Uh, obviously, two games that were not that close at one point and then became closer where you know Tennessee seemed like they had to kind of hold on. Obviously, in the case of the Iowa game where I got on a plane in Hartford thinking they were going to blow them out, blow out Iowa, and then – um, I'm landing and getting all these texts from friends about this crazy finish that's going on. So um, from your perspective, just how, how tenuous of a weekend was this for Tennessee? Because just from an earlier phone interview I did today um, with somebody out of Knoxville, they were a little bearish on the volunteers after what they saw. Man, you know, if you want to talk about a really good basketball team, watch the first half against Colgate and the first half against Iowa. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you see – especially the first half against Iowa with the way Tennessee played defense and scored off it, you're saying, oh, my gosh, like that's a Final Four caliber team. Then you watch the second halves of those games, and you say, how is that team still playing basketball right now? Um, very hard to tell right now, I think, about what this team's fortunes are. Um, they're certainly lucky to still be playing, but in terms of their fortunes moving forward, um, it's hard to know which team's going to show up. And that's what's funny in a way is because this team was remarkably consistent um, for December, January, first half of February. And right now you're just seeing a team that's turning the ball over a little bit, making some silly mistakes, but, you know, surviving and moving on to the next round. So it, it's hard for me to put a finger on where this team is leaving this weekend, but I think to an extent they should be thankful to still be playing. And I also wondered kind of aloud on an earlier section of this podcast um, with my, my, my co-host Mike Harmon, I wonder if, if how Purdue fans will look at it. Do you look at it as, oh, this is a team that's coming in weakened or that maybe is just, you know, um, not at its peak right now, but do you also look at it as, oh, this is a team that if it was going to stumble, maybe it was supposed to happen last weekend. They somehow found their way through it, just like Purdue has found its way through uh, a handful of games this year and, and found a way to win. And now maybe you get them more at full strength this week. Yeah, I think you, if you talk to I think you go back to and the SEC tournament had some of that as well, where they had to kind of grind it out against Mississippi State. They trailed Kentucky by eight with about three minutes to play in the semifinal, came back and won that game. Um, so this has kind of been the story of the last, what, two two weeks' worth of games now, 
Um, it's just kind of strenuous games, minus being blown out by Auburn in the, the SEC tournament title game. But they, they've kind of had some of these games, and it is interesting, too, because they didn't have these close games for the, those three months earlier this year uh, when they won 19 in a row. Almost all of them were by double digits. So this is a different different landscape for them where they have to hold on and win these games and find ways to win. So maybe that benefits, but, man, a 25-point lead in the first half looked like it was going to make my life really easy on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Uh, instead, it was a lot less easy by the end of that day. Oh, yeah. Like I was just saying earlier, I missed a lot of what Carson Edwards did uh, Saturday night because I had already started writing while he was doing <laughs> yeah. all that stuff. Because it was a 30-some point game with 16 minutes to go. There was, you know, the game was over. I could start doing the other part of my job, and I, I sort of shut my eyes, my basketball eyes off for a little while. But um, So I was in, uh, I was at the Battle for Atlantis last year when Tennessee beat Purdue, and uh, it was a that was an eye opening couple days for Purdue. They they lost that day. They lost the next day to Western Kentucky, and then I think it showed them a little bit of the kind of mental and physical toughness that they were going to need, which they then sort of found over the next. They went on a 19 game winning streak, but it also seemed like um, maybe a bit of a an eye opener for Tennessee too. Maybe t- alerted it to some of its own potential, and certainly I think caught the attention of people around the country of what was coming here, and and it's essentially the same team that going to be playing Thursday night. And I would say that's absolutely accurate. Um, I talked with some of the Tennessee players about that, in fact, on Sunday night was, what was that win against Purdue down there? Because I believe Purdue was 18th in the country at the time. Tennessee was coming off a couple of middling years under Rick Barnes, and they went down to the Bahamas there and won that game. Uh, they also led Villanova by double digits down there. I think Nova was three or four in the country at that point. And, yeah, I think that whole tournament, but especially the Purdue win, uh, for Tennessee, those were big moments for, for them to say, oh, okay, like th- this might be a thing now. And certainly with the way the last two years have gone, I think you look back at that game and say that was kind of that first indication, as you said, an eye-opening moment of, um, you know, this team could be pretty good and there's some potential here. So I, I definitely think that was a moment there where, where Tennessee realized what it had and, and set the tone kind of for the last two seasons. What is kind of the relationship right now between – the fan base and, and Rick Barnes at, at Purdue. There's always a faction that um, really holds it against Matt Painter that this team has never gone past the Sweet 16, despite all of the other ways he's had success: winning Big Ten championships, being the Big Ten Coach of the Year, winning 30 games in a season, getting to you know four Sweet 16s in the last decade. Uh, there's still a, a faction that is unsatisfied with that. Uh, I'm just curious. It, it is. I don't know if the, if the if the relationship between football and basketball skews this at all at Tennessee, uh, because obviously Rick Barnes came from a Texas situation where I, obviously there was some people had felt I guess it was underwhelming, and and is 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 it going to be big for him potentially to have some kind of a a postseason breakthrough now with Tennessee? And well, when you look at Tennessee basketball, the history doesn't have a lot of postseason success. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a school one elite eight bid ever. Uh, this is the eighth Sweet 16 appearance. I mean, it's just it's not a program that has had a ton of those. Never been to the Final Four, hadn't won an SEC title in a decade until last season. See, I think when you evaluate Rick Barnes's tenure here so far, early on fans were underwhelmed. The first two years were pretty average. You break through last year, win 26 games, win a share of the SEC title, go to the SEC tournament title game. This year, not winning the league, but you've won 31 games, which matches the program record. But there is that element of everyone knows Rick Barnes hasn't had a ton of postseason success anywhere. One Mm -hmm. Final Four in his career. um, And I think that's kind of that looming thing. 
But I think that looming thing is less to do with Tennessee basketball and more just Rick Barnes in general. Um, I mean, you look at the talent he's had, the teams he's had, the, the regular season success he's had, and there's always kind of that, why hasn't he gone further and won that big one? And this is one of those teams he's got a shot to do that with, certainly. Um, but when you talk strictly Tennessee basketball, I, I think the way he's had success these last two years has really won over this fan base, just looking at how many games they had sold out this year, uh, the environment they had, the way that fans have traveled uh, behind this team. And I certainly think there's a lot of love for Rick Barnes and that might be helped too, in some extent, by the fact football is really struggling right now, um, and, and Lady Balls aren't doing as well. So, so Tennessee basketball is kind of carrying the flag for this school and in, in being the sport. So my impressions of Tennessee from last year and then from seeing them a couple times over the course of this season is uh, the one of those teams that looks like they got linebackers playing basketball. Where, you know, Grant, <laughs> Grant Williams. Admiral Schofield, maybe that's, I guess that's apt coming from a, a, a school more known for football, but uh, Williams and Schofield, you know, both, you know, six, 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 seven guys, stout bodies. Kyle Alexander has got some height on him. Even their, their other guards um, are not um, flimsy guys. I mean, they've got, they've, they've got some size to them. Um, and they, just uh, for in general, your breakdown on, on what it is that this team does so well. Why is this team won, you know, 31 games as we're going into Thursday night already? Yeah, certainly Grant Williams is a guy that, that people tend to know. I mean, he's two-time SEC Player of the Year, averaged 19-8, and eight, I believe, this season. Uh, he makes it go. Uh, there, there's no doubt about that, that what he does offensively is it makes them a threat. And he's kind of the player that teams try to take away. But you also got Admiral Schofield, who, who's one of those guys who can score all over the court. But to me, I mean, when you talk strictly differences from last year to this year, Tennessee, it's Jordan Bone, uh, the junior point guard. Super speedy guy, gets up and down the court. But the way he plays offensively and commands the court is kind of what's taking this team to a different level than it was last year. Um, so those three are kind of the main three guys that, that that are really threats for Tennessee. But Lamonte Turner is a guy out there that takes shots, hits clutch shots. And mm-hmm. I, I'd expect him to be guarding Carson Edwards, at least at the start of the game um, on Thursday. He, he's really kind of buckled down on taking those defensive assignments on. Um, so they've got guys that can make those, those things happen. But yeah, Grant Williams is, is the poster for this team. I mean, that's, that's the guy who does everything, and he and Admiral Schofield very much play off each other in that kind of one-two punch role. Um, I look at Purdue, and and offensively this season, besides just having Carson Edwards, who's a guy who can score a lot of points, as we saw Saturday night. Pretty good at that, yeah. Yeah. There's two things that they do well offensively. Um, offensive rebound. They're much better at offensive rebounding than they are defensive rebounding, or have been for most of the season. They, they, they do tend to get a lot of second-chance points and they shoot the three pretty well, uh, whether that's Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein, or then some of the guys who are, who are lower volume but still shoot at a high percentage, like Grady Eifert, Aaron Wheeler, those guys. I look at Tennessee defensively, and I see potential vulnerabilities in both of those spots. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. Um, Tennessee gets a lot of defensive rebounds, but at the same time they also give up a decent chunk of offensive rebounds, and, and that's an area Rick Barnes has harped on throughout the year. Um, but the three-point defense is something that, it's hard to pinpoint what's gone wrong points. Uh, they gave up 15 to Auburn in the SEC tournament title game, 15 to Colgate. Iowa hit some big ones in the second half to help fuel that comeback. Um, Tennessee's given up some threes, and whether that's a team's offensive structure or – I mean, Auburn is a three-point shooting juggernaut. So it's hard to know exactly how to evaluate that one because mm-hmm. I think they shot 40 in that game. Um, but that is a place where I think Tennessee can be beaten um, is by a team that can knock down threes and – and kind of put Tennessee on its heels in that way and force it to get into a shootout where where it affects the Tennessee offense. And 
because they're, they're a team that I think is influenced by that. If, it, if an opponent's making threes, I think Tennessee falls into shooting threes themselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, watching Garson Edwards play basketball is an absolute joy. Um, watched that, that Michigan State game in West Lafayette this year and saw what he was able to do in some of those games. Um, and I think he's a guy that's going to give Tennessee problems uh, from a shooting perspective especially. If you had to pick, you know, one thing that might loom as kind of a key for Tennessee, something they absolutely have to do well in order to beat Purdue, anything that jumps to mind? Yeah, I think keeping Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield out of foul trouble. I mean, that that was an underrated element of Sunday's game. Is I always, those guys had their third fouls early in the second half, fourth fouls also early in the second half. Um, not that that was why Iowa was able to do what it was. That that tied much more into Tennessee's turnovers and, and bad shot selection. But, I mean, those guys have to be on the floor for Tennessee to be what it is. And there was a stretch where both of them were on the bench at the same time, and, and that's not where Tennessee is going to win games. Um, but, honestly, to me, I, I'm excited to watch Lamonte Turner and Carson Edwards. Uh, I think I've seen Lamonte Turner, who, who very much has been an offensive-minded guy uh, throughout his career. He's a, he's a scorer, likes to shoot the ball probably too much sometimes, um, but he's really embraced defense in the last three weeks, and it's made him really fun to watch, to be honest. Um, and I'm curious to see how he handles that matchup. That's one of those kind of matchups in the matchups I'm certainly looking forward to watching. Thanks a lot, Mike. Really appreciate your time and your insight, and safe travels to Louisville. We will see you later this week. Sounds good. Thank you for having me on. That'll do it for this week's edition of Boilers Extra. Come to jconline.com all week to... Follow our coverage of Purdue in the South Regional at Louisville. I am headed there first thing Wednesday morning. Mike Carmen will be joining me for Thursday's game. Follow me on Twitter at InBearJC. Follow him on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC. Uh, find us everywhere you can find a podcast, basically. Uh, download us, subscribe, review us, send us your comments. We want to hear from you. Thanks a lot for joining us. We will talk to you again soon.